You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark-fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai Kay, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. Arc 2 is proudly sponsored by HeroForge, a free online character design application that lets you make and order your very own custom TTRPG minis. Their character creation tools are rich and deep, with facial customization, animal companions, action poses, spell effects, hundreds of clothing options, and nigh-infinite color choices. Get a color-printed mini, unpainted premium plastic, bronze minis, color standees, or even your very own digital STL files for printing at home or use in virtual tabletops. To see their tools in action, go to Hero Forge Minis on Twitter and search Artemis. They made a mini of Nova's very own Hand of Fate, and she looks good. Check out Hero Forge today at heroforge.com. Content warnings for this episode may include falling, flying, heights, romance, flirting, complex and complicated relationships, grief, trauma, loss of loved ones, descriptions of food, and references to sex. Arc 2, Episode 10, For Hidden Truth, from Carved Inside an Empty Urn, by Connie Chong. Strike Team Nova, you are falling. You are tumbling, you are dropping, you are flying, falling, soaring through the air, swaddled in mist, lit by darkened light, the entire city of heaven fanning out beneath you. That's right, you are falling directly above the heavenly palace, the crown jewel of this plain. It is the golden beating heart in the center of the city of heaven, whence all waters flow, all fires blaze, all earth rises, and all steel bends. A dazzling palatial complex stands atop the largest peak in all of heaven, a city within a city filled with more courtyards and buildings and imperial halls than your eyes can count far above it. On the outskirts of this palace, we see the azure complex, like a sapphire forest surrounding a golden glen. We now push past the first major gate of the palace, as tall as thunder and bright as lightning, to find ourselves in sweeping streets paved with jade and opal, lined by royal halls the color of sunset. We push past the second major gate, as bitter as storm and sweet as rain, to find blooming courtyards filled with magical fruits, oranges of wisdom, lychees of joy, peaches of immortality. We push past the third major gate as red as blood and white as bone to find rolling hills teeming with divine beasts that rollick and herd and drink from silver rivers. We push past the fourth major gate as rich as smoke and light as tea to find, finally, the Hall of Peerless Destiny, which all three of you land directly in front of, unharmed, but winded 
and breathless. As you uh, fall hard onto whatever body part that you please, you see that the Hall of Peerless Destiny is clearly the largest hall in the entire Imperial Palace, which means it is the throne room. And it is the primary place of assembly for the city's gods when divine affairs concern all. It is a massive building in front of your eyes. It is as long as a dragon. Jade pillars, the size of ancient trees, rise to support heavy, multi-tiered roofs of pure gold. Even in this endless eventide, the tiles glimmer like the promise of sunrise. An alabaster ramp, which you find yourselves at the bottom of, leads up, up, up into the depths of the hall, lined with mighty brass cisterns with handles as wide as a god's torso. Through all of the gates, past all of the treasures, the divine detailing of this magnificent palace, all of you notice one constant that thick, ever-present mist. As you gather your bearings, having been dropped here from dazzling heights, the wind literally knocked out of your lungs, and start to come back to your bodies, you notice teleporting onto the ramp, onto the threshold of the hall behind you, walking up into this gathering place, our gods. The gods of the city, some of them you recognize from the gambling house, others look completely unfamiliar to you. Most of them just walk right past you, even though you look winded. They're chattering amongst each other and they are filtering into the hall. What do the three of you do? You all right? Lumira looks at Zynan, her eyes glimmering a reflective, are you seriously asking me this question right now? And she digs in the pockets of her robe and pops out two pieces of her stabilizing gum. Eat. Yes, ma'am. Thayer picks up the gum, puts it into his mouth, and starts chewing. Connie, how hungry am I? Stuffing the merits in your mouth, chewing them, and attempting to swallow had taken the edge off of that hunger, but it's still there in the pit of your stomach, growing, gnawing at you. I would like, once I see them both chew the gum, I would like to attempt to heal any ailments that are there. Now, Connie, please feel free to let me know if this is something that you think would be outside my capabilities, but I think at this point, Lumira can actively work at healing two people at one time. So... Before you even start to tap into your body to draw upon healing energy, just looking at them, they look a little winded, like you might after falling for several minutes, but they're unharmed, and you as well. Whatever magic brought you here did not seek to hurt you. Okay. You'd have to catch Zaiden because he starts to look around, and he is actually trying to soak in the gods that are coming in, the place that we are, and listening to why we're here listening for any kind of information about what's going on and why are there so many gods? What is going on? Good question. As you start to gather your bearings, looking around, trying to listen, figure out what's occurring, there is another tensing of magic, of energy, much closer to the three of you than most of these other gods. And appearing in a flurry of fire, that briefly takes all three of you back to the Wild Sea before you realize it's a different kind of fire entirely. It's passionate and it's warm and also a flurry of mist. Is that woman that 
Woman with the fiery crimson eyes, six foot four, vermilion robes, a magnetic gaze, a cutting handsome face. As she walks towards your party, you see that her footsteps leave fiery afterimages in their wake, as though she were walking across a bed of hot coals. And even as other gods teleport in, a lot of them pause as they see her and kind of lean toward her, not daring to accost her, but they're they're whispering now, not amongst themselves, but about her. They look eager, they look flustered. You see divines with flushed cheeks as she approaches you, that they're desperately trying to hide behind sleeves and fans. You also see deities with sour looks, crossed arms, scorned expressions. Those looks are particularly familiar to you, Zainan. But no matter how this woman is received, whether it's with giggles or glares, she takes it all in with the tiniest of wolfish smiles on her sharp, masculine face. She holds herself like a heartbreak that's about to happen. A heartbreak that you will gladly thank her for on your knees. And this woman Zainan, you recognize her from your vision, of course. She crosses her arms in front of her chest, looks down at each of you, and says, Hmm. Fascinating. So tell me, who sent the three of you? Was it the demons? Is that why all this is happening? Are they in charge? I had a feeling. That or the second devouring. Neither. Maybe it was you. Me? Xiao Cheng sent us. Xiao Cheng? And a kind of... That wolfish smile had spread, Lumira, when he said that, and it looked like she was going to rejoin what you said with a kind of witty, almost flirtatious repartee, but then it freezes as Sayer speaks. And once again, Lumira, Sayer ruins everything. She looks back at the Chosen One's brother, the former Chosen One's brother, and she says, what are you talking about? Xiao Cheng was the first taken. Uh, when? Where were they taken? Into the mist? Are you from the mist? How long ago was that? It was a story that was heard. Their eyes flick between you, Lumira, and Zainan, who had started talking, and uh, Sayer, who had also started talking. Did either of the he-hims chime in to say anything else, or do you let Lumira take the lead? I think Zainan lets the question hang from Lumira, or lets the statement hang from Lumira, and says it again. Because... Now he's got his teeth in something. And he's not hungry for divinity, but there's a lead here that he feels like he can chase. How long ago did Xiao Chung vanish into the mist? Oh, how long ago? Time is funny nowadays, isn't it? Yes. Slow, sluggish, like Konji that hasn't quite congealed yet. If you asked me, which you are, I would estimate somewhere between two nights ago. But ask someone else like our hawkish companion back there who's pretending like they're not watching. And you notice that Langhui has also teleported onto the ramp here. They're not entering the hall like most of the gods are, but they're hanging back and watching this discussion unfold with sharp eyes, snake-like eyes, just like the eyes of their actual serpent. They don't dignify what this woman says with a response. They just cock an eyebrow and continue to watch. And Drooling returns to speaking. She might say something like, perhaps a week, maybe something a little bit more precise, a little bit more 
conservative as is her usual modus operandi. She's not one for overestimating our capabilities. But I'm a bit more confident than that. So I'll say a few days. And how has the Emperor gotten by without her trusted courtier of the four? Oh, the Immortal Emperor is, of course, still the Immortal Emperor. She can do very many things that are beyond our capabilities. Though I do admit the absence of the courtier has made certain administrative tasks a little bit more bothersome. I believe the head administrator has had to shoulder a lot of the details that usually Xiao Cheng handles. I'm not usually privy to such menial contents, though. But as you were saying, and Drilling turns to you, Lumira, because indeed it's quite obvious by now who this is. This is Yen Drilling for sure. There is no mistaking it. The gentlewoman scholar of the Vermilion Library. You said something about rumors? I have this innate ability to be able to tell someone who is very well-read. I think you understand more than anything else here the importance of oral history and how that continues on throughout the course of history. Well, of course, there are many rumors that abound, rumors of monsters lurking in the mist, rumors of this being signs that there's a second devouring, which at first I laughed off, now I'm not so sure. I'm eager to pick your brain. Normally I would say, here's the address to my boudoir if you're so interested, but hmm. the emperor has called upon their drum master to bang on the assembly drum, and so we must answer. Still, that doesn't address my original question. What did bring the three of you here, if not the courtier? Sayer looks at the other two. There's a glaze over his eye. He looks tired? Sayer rarely feels or looks this way. He's agile, he's alert, but he looks exhausted as he continues to chew on this chewing gum in his mouth. He looks up at Chilling and contemplates his next words carefully because it seems that Nova is going a certain direction with this. There's something strange about this mist, a feeling of trepidation, dread, as he keeps like chewing. Each word is parsed through deep chews of the gum enunciating each sound. We are uncertain why Xiaocheng is not amongst you. Picking his words a little carefully, because he still wants to figure something out here. You speak as though your party is not one of us, not part of the City of Heaven. We just got here. We just arrived. Are you all cultivators? Drilling's eyebrows raise, and then she laughs. <laughs> Not for a thousand years, I haven't been a cultivator. So that's what the three of you are, cultivators, of course. Fresh arrivals, well, I must apologize for the state of our city. This mist is not usually so dense, usually so heavy with dread. It's precisely why the Emperor has halted her pronouncement for the position of virtue. 
just dread. There's nothing else uh, different about the mist. Something that might give you glimmers of other things. Now this is interesting. How about we play a little game before the assembly drum is beat once more and we must go inside. I answer your question, you answer mine. Back and forth, give and take. That's how every relationship must go. Do you not agree? I do. I've already addressed one of your concerns, and she nods towards Sayer. So before I answer your question, why don't you answer mine? What exactly is your interest or relationship with Xiao Cheng? We were called... Let's say it was serendipity that brought us here. Fascinating. You mean to say that the courtier of the four symbols called for three cultivators to come to heaven shortly before the mist rolled in? What I'm saying is that the courtier maybe had wishes of their own that possibly felt or was endearment to loneliness or wanting someone else to be here and the lack of everyone else being gone and wanted a friend. We just so happened to show up. What do you mean everyone else being gone? Everyone's still here. Xiao Cheng is the one that's missing. Among three other people. Lumiria staggers back. Just uh, subtly, just a little bit. You said time is working different. And uh, my fellow cultivator here is quite skilled in the... Uh, passage and unpassage of time so you'll have to forgive her uh, inconsistency we arrived before and during the mist Lumira looks at that for a second and is like for a second she like is gleeful in it like yes I do understand and know that but after a second it's like wait a fucking second like what the it almost is kind of like a she reads it as like at first as a compliment and then she reads into it and then it feels like a backhanded compliment. Sayer hears this and he is there's some energy that's happening in this discussion right now. He's feeling a little hungry. So Sayer's on edge. He his tail is moving and waving wildly behind him as he kind of adjusts his sash across his torso. You said Xiaocheng was the first to be taken right? And he dons the mask again, and to Chilling, this is interesting, because she just saw a tired man now putting on the face of an excitable youth, and he kind of, like, steps forward towards Chilling. He is a good several inches shorter than her, uh, and kind of, like, looks up at her with these brighter eyes still dimmed with exhaustion, and he just says, you said Xiao Chun's the first to be taken. We have been called by Xiao Cheng. Perhaps being taken is not the correct thing that's happened. Maybe there's more to this mist and scenario that is at play. Maybe Xiao Cheng is around, right? Hmm. If the courtier of four symbols were around, and they haven't been found in the few days, week or so since the mist has thickened. But you are right, young cultivator. This mist is different from how it usually is. It's thicker even than the regular night mists that we're used to. As for your question, don't ever say I'm not a woman of my word. Circling back to you. And she inclines her head at you, Zainan. 
I will answer it in front of everyone else. As the steward of the Vermilion Library, I am the owner and proud purveyor of many secret tomes, many of which contain information about the mist, its magics, its histories, and its relationship to us, the gods. I've spent a lot of time in the deepest stacks of my archives, combing through them for answers, and I have some interesting details that I'd like to share, not just to you, but to everyone in our fine city. So I hope you don't mind waiting for me to answer in front of the Emperor and the rest of the city. You say the largest library. You have access to all sorts of information, yes? Yes. Well, I never mentioned its size, I don't think. But regardless... Size doesn't matter to me, darling. She smiles and sizes you up, looking you up and down, and it seems Druling likes what she sees. You do strike me as an academic, as an intellectual. You are more than welcome in the Vermilion Stacks. I appreciate anyone that appreciates knowledge. Now, my friends are not as receptive as I am to someone of your capabilities. Maybe we can figure out some something that works for both of us, yes? So what is it that you wish to have from me? Access to my library? Yes. Hmm. After the assembly, find me on the peaks. Find me in the Vermilion Stacks. <laughs> Duly noted. We'll keep talking there. Perhaps we could come to some sort of mutually agreeable arrangement. I think that will work best for the both of us. And Lumira will reach her hand out in... For a handshake? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Drooling reaches forward, takes your hand and turns it gently, leans in and places a kiss upon your fingers as though you were a princess. <clears throat> Thank you for your generosity, Drilling. <laughs> her mouth stays for a beat too long on Lumira's hand. And then she pulls away and looks at you, Sayer. Any suspicion she had earlier about the three of you, any sort of, you know, wariness is gone. It seems she accepts that you are cultivators who came perhaps right before whatever this is, this thick, thick mist rolled in and Xiao Cheng apparently vanished. And she seems to sense some sort of truth in your words about also wanting to find out what's going on. Uh, thank you for your kind offer and generosity. We'll be... Sure, to meet up with you soon. Yes. Lumira. Drilling looks back at you with a smile. Lumira curtsies just so subtly, just a little bit. Honored to make your acquaintance, Lumira, and the two of you are. Zainan. My name is Sayer. Zainan and Sayer. Well, I am Yen Drilling. They call me the Gentlewoman Scholar in the City of Heaven. Hmm. Oh! And not a moment too late. And all of you hear drum beats sounding from deep within the hall in front of you. Drum beats that are as loud as thunder that you're sure every person in the city of heaven would be able to hear. And yet it doesn't hurt your eardrums. It feels very magically carried out. So all gods are aware that an assembly is occurring. Drooling casts one final wolfish smile at your party, her crimson eyes lingering a touch longer on Lumira than the rest of you. 
though she does also smile judiciously at Zainan and Sayer. And she turns those vermilion robes flapping around her shins, and she starts striding up the ramp in toward the hall, leaving fiery footsteps in her wake. All other gods who have remained outside, lingering, talking clusters of groups, also begin to filter in. Lumira turns sharply and looks at the rest of Nova. It's a very interesting air about her, something that hasn't necessarily been there before. And she looks the both of you square in the eyes. You find your way? And she looks at Zainan, and then she looks at Seir more pointedly. I find mine. Yes? So long as we stay on the mission. Speaking of, there's a lot of gods here for this Mayday protocol. Exactly. Stay on your toes. And they're all here, but Xiaoxiong is missing. And I think he pauses for a moment, and I think he catches uh, Lumira's pointed look cast his gaze away in typical Sayer fashion and clears his throat. I don't want to be the one to say this. I'm, I'm, we can start walking, but slowly, perhaps, uh, alongside the gods to not arouse suspicion. Walk and talk. Requesting sidebar. Walk and talk. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Sorkin. The Sorkin requesting Really? Sidebar. Really, Requ- long boy? Requesting, requesting sidebar, sidebar, your honor. Uh, <laughs> right. Of all the Um, I think Sayer, as we're like pacing up up and down, he's consistently teasing against the fuzz against his antlers. And he says, look, I think we need a phone base. I have some questions. And as he says that, Zainan just moves his fingers to summon the Oracle. Nothing happens. Nothing happens? He does it again. Nothing happens. Lumira goes, okay, fine. The oracle does not happen exactly, but I no. know what oracle could possibly happen. And she pulls up the direct call to Artemis. Nothing happens. She does it again. It doesn't occur. And again. <laughs> it does not occur. And one more time. Uh-uh. And again. What the Lumira. fuck? Lumira. <laughs> You mean to tell me right now that on every single mission that we've ever been on, we have been able to summon Artemis or talk to anyone at the syndicate. And now is the time in which we are not able to summon Artemis. You want to sit here and tell me that that's not a a cause for detail right now? Agent Ash. Calm yourself. Both of you. Lumira looks at Sayir like you just called her out her name. His eyes were already wide at the normal oracle not blipping to existence. His eyes widen more when the patron saint does not answer our call and his hand goes to the hammered moon necklace around his neck. We cannot... And as he sees that, he's like, careful, they can see us. And he's, he's like looking at the other gods that are marching around. As you do, none of the other gods seem to have noticed what you were saying over the drum beats. They were also all very absorbed in their own anxieties, eager to rush inside. None of them except Longhui. My sweet, dear strike team Nova, they've been watching you like a hawk this entire time. They did not go in when Truing went in. They're still standing a ways off. Their arms are crossed. They're looking at your group. You're not sure if they heard what Lumira said. How she referred to your party with agent as the honorific, 
but they do approach. And they approach Sayer directly. Their black eyes are fixed on you. They're shorter than you, but they have a imposing Not me. presence. <laughs> yes, you, Sayer. And as all of you are ending up as like the last people to enter the hall, they come up next to you, Sayer, and they say, 8,924. And their voice sounds like a ghost. And as that realization registers in all of your minds, their eyes tear away from Sayer and they look directly at you, Zynan. Like they can see you, like really see you. And then they look back at Sayer. 8,924 merits. That is how much you owe me, Sayer. You do not just punch one of my coin machines and eat at it like some layperson's cheap buffet. Sayer sees that and meets that, and his instinct is to meet the challenge. To look at this person amidst all this dread, amidst all the situation that is currently befalling the gods, is this really the time? to antagonize one another. But he pacifies that and just nods his head in a gesture not his, a smile not his own, clumsy against his own skin. Forgive me, um, master of the gambling house. I will find a way to repay you. A m mistake. That's what it is. I meant no offense. A mistake. I see. And Longkui leans back slightly. They finally look at Lumira, not with the same kind of piercing, burning gaze they'd fixed on design and Orsayer, but considering you as well. And then something interesting happens with their gaze. It slides up and glances at the space above each of your heads in turn, finally landing on Sayers. They look back down at you. Hmm. Make sure you are good on your word this Huntress might be disappointed if you are not. Sayer does not hide his surprise when the Huntress is invoked. And he just smiles. Yes, I, I am a man of my word. Please do not concern yourself, mistress of the gambling den. He pauses and then unceremoniously turns, like leaves your party behind and walks into the hall. Before that, can I attempt to connect? Oh, okay. You sure can. You know what? I think it's interesting if you do. So when you attempt to connect with someone, reveal something intimate to them and roll 2d6 plus tags. Let's say this is happening as they're turning away and starting to walk. Lumira will kind of call on her flashes of history and the bits of pieces that she knows. It is interesting, genuinely how I think both of us have pieces to the puzzle that we could possibly help the other. My associates are privy, but I think there is a very special detail to those of us who I think that are missing a central piece to what we believe is reality. I would be Willing to hear your take on it. Not even willing. Genuinely. I am interested. 
to hear your take and what you've been brought to see or lived to see as the truth. I think your middle and my middle lay somewhere similar. So if I'm getting this right, Lumira, the intimate thing you're revealing is that you have a mission, a goal that you will basically stop at nothing to achieve, yes? So what rather personal thing comes up either in words or in your expression or in your face that Longway can see? I think in Lemire's eyes have continuously and always been a telltale to her genuinely. And I think what starts as her eyes looking inquisitive, what happens is her pupils dilate and take up a good majority of her iris to the point where there is no more iris there and take everything and wipe it away. Something similar to how Oblivion annihilates. Hmm. Okay. Roll 2d6 plus tags. Okay. I'm going to go out and ahead and do Forbidden Knowledge again. Uh-huh. As well as if I could use healing. Interesting. In a way, because I'm trying to connect. Well, my thinking is I'm trying to connect with this character on a level that I believe that none of the rest of my agents of Nova truly understand and identify on. And is that there's something there, but we're not 100% sure what exactly it is. And... There's some mystery that is henceforth lying behind it. Sure. I would say that's probably closer to diagnoses. Okay. Which, which would still work. I'm okay work. with that. So yeah. I'm okay with that. Yes. Let's do it as a plus two. Okay. That's so on point. Five. <laughs> <gasps> I was not expecting that. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was, I thought you did well. Uh, okay. On a six minus, that's a miss. Your bid for connection implodes. You suffer or worsen a status of the GM's choice. Okay. As you hold out a hand metaphorically toward Longhui, entreating them to, to give something to you because you're willing to offer it, they raise their black-tipped hands, similar to your gold tips, but like shadows instead, and both of their hands are covered in this dark shade. They raise their black-tipped fingers and they stroke the head of the snake, that is coiled around their shoulders, which rises up to meet their action. And without looking at you, without even slowing their pace, they say, she was right. And then they pause briefly and they look, not just at Lumira, but at all three of you. I wonder who she is. Do the three of you even know? Who do you mean? What are you talking about? Who is she? Careful about reaching a hand out to people you don't understand. I can take care of my own. I always have. Longway turns and strides right into the hall. Lumira raises her hands at that statement and backs up completely. Like, in full, I totally 100% get it. We have to go in. As soon as Longway moves in, 
Sayer looks back at the two of Nova. Beware the veil. Remember, they can't look beyond it. We can't let them look beyond it. We have to be more careful than ever. There is something there. You have to let it go. We have to go inside. And Zion just starts walking. One thing at a time, Lumira. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Come. As the three of you walk inside, Sing's last words resonating in your ears coming out of someone else's mouth. We enter this hall, and we see a throne room that is easily the size of multiple town squares. The floors here are made of pure marble. The pillars, there are so many pillars, they are carved from purest jade. On one side of the hall, you even see a lavish table laden with fruits and boughs of all kinds. Gods have streamed into this throne room as varied and numerous as stars. They congregate mostly to the sides of the Imperial Hall, leaving a open walkway straight down in the middle of the throne room. The only gods who don't stick to the sides are, of course, the top candidates for the position of Emperor's Virtue, the so-called four symbols of the City of Heaven. You see in the middle of this walkway approaching the throne, of course, Yen Druling, the gentleman scholar. Walking behind her only slightly is the next symbol of the city. You see them. A straight-backed, no-nonsense, heavenly official who wears the humble blue robes of an administrator. They are fat, they have this smooth, light brown skin, and a soft but angular face. Their eyes are large and downturned, and their long black hair is tied into a tall, elegant ponytail. Ta carries an intricately carved, dark wooden abacus in one hand, and the other is tucked in the small of Ta the back as Ta patiently waits with eyes upon the throne. Unlike Druling, this symbol is attracting few to no stares from the people around them, and that seems to be precisely to their liking. Their demeanor is neither extravagant nor understated. It is perfectly in the middle, elegant and refined, with an edge of poeticism. There are no wasted movements with them, only efficiency and grace. Their eyes are sharp, intelligent, calculating, as cold as droolings are hot. Based on the color of their robes and the respectful nods in their direction, you gather that this is Mu Chunxing, the head administrator that Xiao Chong had mentioned. The third of the symbols that you notice pulling up after Chunxing is possessed of an exuberance that makes her feel charmingly youthful and rather familiar. Her eyes are big, bright, blinking in black. Her demeanor is upbeat, cheerful, smiling. Even her hair looks joyful. It's short and black and unkempt, but in a sweet way, like a puppy's fur. You're struck with the urge to run your fingers through it. Ta wears plain white robes secured with a blue sash, where a small steel hammer is tucked away. She's looking around the hall as she walks with this open, unabashed excitement, like this is her first time being in such a place. And with a big, toothy grin on Tada's face, Ta waves at the gathered gods, the vast majority of whom greet her back with genuine affection. She appears to be quite popular. But despite her sunny disposition, you can tell even with her robes, even from this distance, that she is muscular. 
Their back is broad. Their legs are thick and sturdy. Their arms look like steel coils. They're not very tall, but they are stocky. They're strong. Before she reaches the other end of the hall, this person darts over to someone standing amongst the other gods in the sidelines. And based on who they run up to, it becomes clear that this person is Lu Hua, the Forge Master's apprentice. Because the Forge Master herself, whom Lu Hua approaches, stands like a soundless mountain amongst the other gods. Gang Shijiang appears as an older woman. If she were mortal, perhaps she'd be in her 50s. But she is big and she's hale. Ta is the only person in the Hall of Peerless Destiny not wearing robes. Instead, Ta is shirtless. You see a barrel-strong chest and reams of muscle underneath sturdy layers of fat. Tufts of white fur sprout from her chest, her arms, all the way down her spine. And Tada ears are on top of Tada head, shaped like a tiger's, rounded and reactive with an old cut on one side. She wears these simple trousers and a blacksmith's apron around her waist, along with a belt of tools. Tada hair is short and black and unkept, kind of just like Tada mentee, but not in the same charming way of the youth in front of Ta. Rather, it's unkempt in a way that suggests Ta doesn't really take care of Tada self. Just looking at Xuanzang, you can tell she was once mortal, that she ascended rapidly when she was older, that instead of taking a younger appearance when she became a god, she chose to keep this form, the one she had when she could still bleed. You know all of this because Shijiang wears the truth of it plainly on her body for everyone to see. Lu Hua pays respects to their mentor with a small bow, drawing an affirmative hum from the crowd before they continue onward toward the throne. And the fourth and final symbol to enter the space is, of course, Langhui, the heavenly liaison who had just left Strike Team Nova shaken in their boots. As she enters the Hall of Peerless Destiny, a few strides behind the rest of the symbols. The other gods do the opposite that they did for drooling. They shrink away from him, like light fleeing from shadow. He seems unbothered. They move away from your party and they step forward with the easy confidence of a snake about to strike. Given their uncanny abilities, perhaps, and even uncannier personality, few are so bold as to look Langhui directly in the eyes. Few except the other symbols. So as the symbols begin to form a line at the base of the currently empty throne, how do you all enter and where do you choose to stand? Upon entry, because Zainan was walking purposefully, his pretty long legs striding, his boots clicking on the beautiful stone floor... He pulls off his hat, and I think he starts to look with his true eyes, the eyes of a ghost, as he walks into the room. His curiosity from Lunkwe so peaked, and he has this need to see what it was that they saw. And so he walks in and takes it all in, and I think maybe accidentally separates himself from the world of the living a little bit. Oh my god, I think that's going to be channel your power. So when you channel your mythos or logos to overcome an obstacle, reshape the environment, or extend your senses, describe how your power flares and roll 2d6 plus tags. So 
I have an ability called unspoken eulogies in my tags. Oh, hello. Okay. <laughs> uh, specifically drawing on how he feels about everything that's gone on around Sing and the echoes of her and all the things that he didn't get to say to her. And untethered existence, both from my mythos theme. And I think that's it. I'm going to invoke a weakness tag yeah. haunted by dusty memories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's a plus one total. <laughs> Six. <laughs> What's happening? Okay, how does your power flare? He really isn't sure why he can do what he's doing. I mean, like, he was a ghost for a couple of months, but that's very different than trying to use it to see things and do things. And I think that he unknowingly, as he pulls his hat off, shakes off his mortal form and a ghost hand of who he really is. A glimmer of real Zynanesh, not this city of heaven Zynanesh. A black-gloved hand holds a hat with no tassels and a little bit of his trans uniform, a little bit worn more than it should be, is just glimmering from where it shouldn't be. Yes. And as you lower your hat, the edges of your body, Zynan, begin to fade, begins to turn translucent. From your perspective, everyone else starts to fade. And instead of mist rolling in, it's dust filtering past your eyes. So much dust, an entire world's worth of dust just running in front of your mind's eye. But for Seir and Lumira and all the other gods here, you feel a chill emanate from Zidon, as though you were being washed in a pure cold waterfall that no one can see. It's like Zidon is a drop hitting the surface of a pond and you're feeling ripples rock outward from him. As these unseen ripples hit the gods on either side of this walkway, they stop looking at the symbols and waiting for the emperor and they start turning, talking a little disturbed, anxious. You hear a couple of them mutter, is that the mist? What is that? But other gods say, it doesn't feel like the mist. That's something, something demonic. And people are muttering about demons now. And none of this is happening close enough to the other end of the hall, because this is a huge hall for people by the throne to see or notice. But one symbol does turn around, Longhui. Longhui turns fully, looks directly at Zainan, who's continuing to slip out of reality. Their eyes widen a fraction, just a fraction of an inch. They cock their head briefly to the side and you see their black tipped hands twist as though they were unscrewing a jar uh, by the hem of their waist. And Zainan, you feel yourself twist back into your body. You've been like, forcibly pulled out of this ghost realm you're trying to walk into and situated back into your city of heaven form. Yes, Lumira. Twisting in their magic is a part of my repertoire. That is how <laughs> I rewind time, create liminals XYZ. Is there anything that would be similar to or even remotely close to what it is that I do that I could possibly pick up on and be like, 
Lumira, you know enough, even in your elementary dabblings in chronergy, that this is not time magic. It's mm. much closer to whatever the hell Zynan was doing, perhaps unintentionally. And Zynan, as you get kind of twisted and flung back into your body, you have to mark one fade or crack on a theme of your choice. Oh God, I think he cracks on one of his Logos themes. I think that he is mm. shunted back into reality so harshly that a crack forms in his lone survivor of Kaseki, the one who walked in all of this dust. He was suddenly rejected from something that is so fundamental to who he is. And he's a little bit in shock and just kind of looks around. Sia comes up behind you and steadies your back with his palm, looking you up and down. Sinon? Uh, the mission. We should stick to the mission. Yeah. And he just starts to stumblingly, but eventually easily walk forward again. Mm. Does your party stay in the middle of the hall where no one else is, except for the four symbols, or do you join the sidelines? Gonna go try and blend in. We're gonna try and attempt subtlety here. Sayer would like to... I think he's he's lagging behind Zainan and Lumira. He's a little disoriented by everything that's happening. He's hungry and... There's so much information, so many threats abound. And I think he's going to stand by the table of all of the food and fruits and treats. And I think his hunger gets the better of him. He picks up a fruit and starts uh, nibbling on it as he is. I mean, this just looks like a buffet. Why not pick something up? And he just stands there with everybody. And he's contemplating all of this. His blue eyes are darting wildly between the four symbols, Zainan and Lumira, the tensions that exist there, the fact that we had that interaction with Lang Hui, and Artemis didn't answer. Couldn't answer. Blocked what, whatever. And Sayer feels so isolated, like he's at the precipice of a tall mountain or a cliff, and he has nowhere else to go. He needs answers. He, he needs to focus, recenter something. He takes a bite of whatever fruit he picks up. And Connie, I'd like to attempt to brood. <laughs> so yeah, that is a move I wrote. Yes, I love this. This is the first time we'd be using this. Sayer, you step up to the table laden with peaches and boughs. There were a couple of gods lingering here, taking a few bites here or there. But as everyone finished filtering in, they returned to the sidelines and cast their gaze toward the throne. So it's just you and the rest of your strike team if you decide to follow Sayer. And a chef god standing behind the table, they seem to be the person who has curated the spread. And as you approach, they give you a bright smile. They are a small, slight, chipper looking god with a rather dirty apron in front of their robes that they seem to have just like kind of messily put on in order to make sure that the food doesn't stain their otherwise beautiful appearance. They have long auburn hair that flows to their waist that has various little braids and trinkets and beads woven into the tresses. They give you a bright smile and glittering black eyes. As you reach toward a bow, they say, ah, yes, you have wonderful taste. That is a bow that will grant you 300 years of longevity. Thank you. And I think he looks upon this person, their dark eyes and the lovely braids within their hair. And he remembers an old shadow, one he hasn't seen in so long. And his face softens a little bit as he picks up this bow. Um, he says, oh, thank you. Um, 
Will it fill? Is it a filling? Will it fill me up? I'm starving. Oh, yes. Yes, it will fill you for 300 years as well. Fantastic. And Sayer picks it up and, like, smiles once more. A clumsy smile. He stands close by to the table and takes a bite out of the bow. Uh, I'm gonna need you to. <laughs> to roll. As you bite into the bow, oh, no. you're gonna brood. Okay. So... <laughs> I thought you were gonna make me do something else, and I was like, huh? No, no, no. <laughs> so. When you, as you're chewing on this thing, uh, when you take a beat mm. to brood about the events at hand, name what's troubling you and roll 2d6 plus logos, mm -hmm. which is the number of logos themes you have, which I believe is two. Yes, I have two logos themes. Little Hunter and the Chosen One Shadow. What is troubling you, Sayer? What is troubling me is the fact that everything feels outside of our grasps as agents. Like, I feel like our hold on all of the moving cogs in this is slipping from our fingers and we are tumbling into an abyss of intrigue that we're not ready for. And I think that's what he's specifically thinking about of like, how, how can I help anchor us as Nova here? Um, and he's just trying to parse through that. Excellent. All right, 2d6 plus my two plus two. Okay. Finally, some he him redemption over here. That's 11 on the die plus two, uh, 13. That's excellent. So no matter the outcome, choose one to answer. The GM will answer the other. So the two questions you get access to are, what am I not seeing? And how can I move on from this? This is some uh, fun tech from God Killer, which is a game of my own writing and creation. I'm gonna answer the second question of how can I move on from this? And I think this, the conclusion that Sayer comes to in his head is we need allies. We need allies. And his eyes flit over to Luhua. And as his eyes flit over to Ta, he kind of like gazes into Tada's energy, demeanor, brightness, this heroic light that exudes out of Ta. And he just, and they just sit there and remember someone who feels exactly that same way, his own bright-eyed sister, that energy. Maybe there's an ally to be made here. If we make an enemy, if we make an adversary of one, we can make an ally in another. And maybe she's our ticket. So I think that's the answer he comes to with, how can I move on from this, is finding an ally and that ally being her. Okay. I will answer, what am I not seeing? The big picture here. Sayer, that's what's tugging at you. You're running into these strange little anomalies that by themselves, you have no idea how to solve. Rumors of monsters in the mist, that strange hunger that's tugging at you, rumors of shadows of those strange sounds, things that sound like names but aren't really. Two different cities of heaven. That's what it is, you think about it. There are two different cities of heaven. There's the one that you zapped in on when you first arrived here, the completely empty city of heaven, Xiaocheng, the goose, the orange-shaped oracle. And then there's the one here when it all got dark and mist rolled in. And you stepped forward and there were suddenly gods everywhere. The gods here, the missing gods are here. The gods you were looking for, the gods that went, that disappeared, that vanished, they're here. They're not ghosts. You touched one of them. 
many of them actually. They have scent, they have sound, they have personality and presence. This doesn't feel like an illusion or anything like that. Each of these gods are, for all intents and purposes, they are real, they are here, but there are two different cities of heaven. How could that be possible? And the mist is at the center of all of it. That's what you're not seeing. That's that bigger picture. On a 10 plus, which is what you got, the GM will also tell you what much needed help or ally comes to you in this moment. It is all of the gods taking in a deep breath and straightening their backs as you all sense the emperor arrive. So Sayer, even with your mouth full of bao, you're chewing it, it feels delicious in your mouth and you're sure that if you swallow it, it would fill that strange pang in your stomach. You hope, you hope. But before it's even able to slide down your esophagus, you feel the aura in the room change. So do you, Zainan, and so do you, Lumira. And as the three of you take up your positions, there's another beat of drums ringing out, and all eyes turn to the very back of the hall of peerless destiny, where you all see the throne. It is carved from fragrant red sandalwood and inlaid with gems of every color imaginable. It perches upon a raised dais that's separated from the rest of the grand hall by a vast moat of amethyst water. And entering from the veil beyond, just stepping into existence, haloed by the eventide light streaming through glass panels mounted in the ceiling, is the immortal emperor, Longdu. Longdu is a stoic and imposing woman. Her face is ageless. Their hair is an obsidian river. Tada robes are violet, deep violet, graded with black and white like striations in purest jade. Four strings of pearls dangle from her crown, shimmering past her lashes, but nothing is strong enough, cruel enough, beautiful enough to contain the force of the emperor's gaze. Longdu's eyes are so black, they're indigo. They are the color of a mortal soul that has inflicted so much violence upon the gods that it too has become divine. As soon as Longdu enters, the entire hall falls silent. All eyes turn to look reverently upon the immortal emperor. She sits down on the throne and then looks at the head administrator, Mu Chunjing. Chunjing steps forward, the beads of their abacus clinking together with a melodic sound that rings through this grand hall like a prayer bell. They raise their throat and speak. Their voice is as clear and harmonious as those abacus beads, but there's something restrained about the affect, something unacknowledged. All welcome the immortal Emperor Lung Du, devourer of the devouring, grand adjudicator of the game, sovereign on high of Yaolan, the Amethyst Dragon. All around you, the assembled gods move in acknowledgement. Some bow, some raise their hands in greeting, others flare with magic. What divine emotion strikes each of you as you see the most powerful god in the city of heaven and how do you show your acknowledgement i think it comes almost a natural like a naturally natural to lumira it is 
the feeling and effervescence of some beings that are greater than her. And while though she completely understands and feels that way in the presence of fate, it's doubly impactful outside for some reason. So Lumira just bows and drops to one knee, does not make any eye contact or anything along the lines of that. It is a complete show of submission and understanding and respect amongst those that she knows and feels and recognizes as higher than herself. What about you, Zynan? Zynan is at first overwhelmed and then it moves into underwhelm. He's not encountered a god on any of his missions with trans. And then he remembers the feeling from moments ago, years ago, meeting fate. And somehow those two things collide and he feels this intense clash inside of him before he feels that ground under his feet and he remembers they're not at trance so much like Lumira he is overcome with the sense of a trans agent encountering a god again but his is one of absolute fear we're not meant to see these people and he is feeling very out of sorts and out of his depths and all he can manage is a deep bow from the waist but his hands are shaking while he does it overwhelmed by divinity Mm. and what about you Sayer? Sayer sees the emperor take up their place upon the throne and he's met royals he's met the gods of the wild sea who are the oil dragon and the large tree and when he looks at long du he doesn't see fate magic or any of the gods or kings and queens he's met before he sees the huntress someone who hunts something far more frightening than any of nova can imagine And I think he recognizes that. His bright blue eyes recognize that fierceness, that intensity, that gravitas that Long Du presents. And as he is overwhelmed by that feeling of being in Artemis' presence, his hand goes to his crescent blades. He unsheets one of them, beats it against his chest, and holds that salute, the same resolute acknowledgement that he gives to the patron saint of mortals. As each of you acknowledge the emperor in your own particular ways with honor, with fear, with respect, the emperor raises her chin and lifts a hand and the gods quiet. And then Ta opens Ta to mouth and Ta speaks.
This episode was edited by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our original intro theme music is by Jonathan Charles. Transplaner RPG is supported by our incredible Patreon precepts. Folks pledge to our highest tier on Patreon. A massive thank you to Taylor, Stardiers, Jordan, Derek Davidson, Phil, Mark J, Astrid, Spencer, Lyle and Peanut, Rose, Alex, The Bow System, Cassidy, Lex, Charles, and Cora Eckert. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. Until next time, Transplay Nerds!